This episode is sponsored by World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. Dungeon Crawlers. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we're getting down to our roots. That's right. From the very beginning, Dungeon Crawlers has always been known for, well, just that, dungeon crawling. And because of that, we are going to be talking about very some yeah, something very dear to our hearts, which is campaign starters or themes that you can run in your campaign to make it fun and exciting for your players. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to start in a tavern, because everyone <laughs> seems to start in a tavern. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. But for some reason, that seems to be the place that you start. Uh, can I tell you a funny story really quick? Yes. Uh, one time when I was working on my master's, I had to come up with a website, and Matthew gave me this brilliant idea. I came up with the, with the concept of a place, like a social media site, mm-hmm. where people could aggregate and congregate to play their favorite RPGs. Uh-huh. Uh, this, was pre, this was pre-pandemic by a lot. Yeah. Uh, and Matthew gave me the name for the website proverbial tavern and i thought it was the best name and by the way i got like full credit for that project and i earned my masters that's awesome i mean i get it it's a place that people come they congregate they talk they meet it seems to be the perfect way to start you know any campaign because it's easy to put everyone together i mean that's really the problem with most uh campaigns is okay why are these people together you know, unless as you've been building the characters, everyone's built their backstory so that they know one another, you have to find some creative way to put them together so that they go off onto your quest and defeat the dragon, save the princess, or whatever the story may be. So we've come up with some really interesting ideas of how to start that campaign without being in the tavern. Now, one really interesting one I definitely want to, to mention, uh, so Tracy Hickman and Howard Taylor and Curtis Hickman put together uh, a gaming system called XDM, and mm-hmm. they put out a, uh, an adventure for that. However, the adventure starts with all of the characters dangling over a pit of lava with the bad guy. Like you, That's where you start. The, the end bad guy, you're right there dangling over a pit about to die. The meme comes into my mind. I bet you're wondering, how did I get into this situation? It actually doesn't <laughs> run that way, though. That's what you would think is, you know, it's kind of the here, you know, kind of like Megamind where he's falling from the sky. And then it's like, you know, and then you flash back in time. Till you get <laughs> but no, the entire adventure rewinds where you end the adventure in the tavern. You're getting oh. back to the tavern. <laughs> so I love fantastic. Tracy Hickman. It was great. <laughs> You know that 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 sounds an awful lot like uh, the beginning of Brandon Sanderson's Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarians. Yeah, he starts off on an altar of encyclopedias about to be sacrificed to the God of the Evil Librarians, uh, and it's kind of that same thing. I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I and mean, it's a really great way to start a book because it's like, wait a minute, I want to know how I how, what led the characters up to this point. In an RPG, it's not a great, not a great idea to do that. You know, having them, you know, dangling over and like now we're gonna flash back to two years before or whatever. 
Um, so let's jump in. Let's jump in uh, with your guys' idea. I'm going to be peppering mine throughout here. Um, so who wants to go first? Well, I think this leads into one of uh, Krebs' ideas uh, pretty well. Uh, except I kind of I kind of forgot what it was. Oh, Matthew. Uh, that was an excellent segue. <laughs> try, not, try not to drive it off a cliff. All right. So, um, so uh, I don't know. I have my blanders on. <laughs> oh, my gosh, guys. It's getting so dangerous to be part of this show. Um, <laughs> I love you both so much. All right. So uh, I, I have a starter for when you're, when you're a GM and you're trying to introduce someone to your system to your game, whatever the game may be, it does not matter. Mm-hmm. I have a starter for a new player, a newbie called the amnesiac. Now I came up with this idea just before Matt Damon starred in the born identity, which was, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know that was a series of books at the time. I'd never read those books. Yeah. And uh, this was an idea that I came up with completely in the vacuum of my own imagination. And then not, tear like you know a handful of weeks after we started playing um we saw a commercial for the born identity but the idea is your player wakes up in some mysterious not so good place to be and they have no recollection of who they are i presented my player in this case our fellow co-host matthew i presented Uh, We were playing a game of Rifts. He wanted to learn that system. He hadn't played it before. I had no idea how the system worked at all. And so I presented him with a character sheet that was stripped down and as basic as you could make it. Basically, like even the name field, I think, wasn't filled in yet. Um, There were, like, he was level one, but he didn't know how much, you know, experience he had. Uh, He had some basic life stats and his physical attributes. And from that point on, he got to, anytime he moved around or anything, I got to tell him about injuries that were present on his body, the shapes and the color, and all those things were clues as to what had happened to him. On my side it, of things... It was it was very meta, because I didn't understand the system. I didn't know what I could and couldn't do. And, and, and sometimes it made it impossible for me to metagame, uh, because I had to discover what my character could do Along with the game mechanics that went along with it, it was just fantastic. The The character sheet only had information on it that was readily apparent. My height, my weight, you know, things that you can immediately tell about yourself. And so I love the way that you'd set that up because even the sheet reinforced the theme of the game. Uh, thank you, by the way. On my side... I had his full in great detail character sheet, including like um, a really basic uh, anatomy drawing that showed where his wounds were and what they meant to me and the story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and he would do things like his character would feel his pockets and then he would find something in his pocket. And when he did, he would add that to his inventory. And then I would make a notation on my side that now he knows that this thing exists. Um, it was it, what, what that allowed me to do as a GM was that I got to introduce mechanics of the game a piece at a time to someone who had never played it and what that meant was all the player had to do was show up pass them a sheet start the story that's all you had to do uh as a gm and a player the gm has to have all the knowledge of where the story is going they have to have an idea of where they want to take the adventure and that sort of thing but for the player 
uh, the player is discovering everything for the first time, both as a character and as a player. And I found that that was an excellent way to start a new game and to introduce someone who's new. And what's cool about the Amnesiac concept is it's not limited to just a one-on-one game. You could also apply this to a group of people. They can all be amnesiacs. And you, the GM, get to craft a completely complementary group and a story that supports their strengths. This gives you the most control as a GM. Uh, One of the things that I loved about it is it made me, as a player, it put me in real jeopardy. Because I get in situations where... The solution, the obvious solution was I needed to have a certain ability, a skill or some combat ability, and I didn't know if I had it. And so I would jump into the situation and like hope that my instincts would kick in and I'd be able to do something. And sometimes it did. And let me tell you, the story felt awesome. It's like, oh, I can knock out someone with one punch. That's cool. And other times it was like, oh, I'm terrible at this. I'm totally going to get my butt kicked or I'm going to lose this challenge or whatever, because that's not a skill I have, apparently. <laughs> no, I, I really like this concept. Uh, in fact, I've actually used my own, uh, this concept my own. Oh, nice. Uh, I ran a game with a group. Um, they woke up in this keep. They had no recollection of how they got there. Um, they, they wandered through the keep, kind of bumbling through. They didn't have a lot of equipment on them and they're they, they had to kind of like who are you and they they finally get through the keep they met this this old gentleman that's there and he's like you finally awoken and you know he kind of tells them that you know this this event happened where the gods have disappeared from the sky and they were awoken to help find where the gods are and that you know they're they're roaming you know from that point they wa- they went out and roaming the land trying to f- discover where the gods went and they finally slowly start to learn that they are the fallen gods that oh yeah so the that's god that's a great you know, hook yeah so there's this this evil god that tried to dethrone them and nearly destroyed them but some event happened that protected them some of the gods did die there was this massive battle but somehow they were protected. They were thrown from the heavens, and they're mortal right now. But they're slowly gaining their immortality and their abilities, and what they do affects things, you know, in the world. You know, like one one of the gods was, you know, uh, the god of death. You know, and as he, you know, they're doing things. You know, a couple uh, like some guys had died. And I'm like, roll a perception check. And he's like, all right. And I'm like, you see the spirits of the fall of these fallen soldiers. And he, and he stops and goes, what? Like, why do I, why am I doing that? You know, and he, he slowly started realizing, wait a minute. He must be the God of death or something. Um, oh. After several game sessions, because this theme kept coming up where he could see the dead, but the dead weren't moving on. And they would come to him and they would, you know, they they would ask him for help. And he's like, you know, eventually he's like, just move on. And they would disappear. And he's like, what the heck? What happened? Um, so it was really cool to, to have that dynamic where they didn't really know where they came from. They didn't really know their abilities and they were slowly developing those over time. It definitely made it so that they were invested in the game because there was a whole section now, unlike you, where you had a character sheet, I was just ma- making and adding stuff up that I wanted to give to them. You know, and of course, their characters were leveling up based on the class they had picked. 
Um, you know, and they're like, well, what if the God of death or this other God wasn't the same? I'm like, well, you're mortal. You're becoming someone new. So you could actually no longer be the God of death and transition to a different God or something like that based on the, the new progression. So it was kind of fun doing that. That sounds awesome. By the way, that is, that is, I would love to do that game again. It was so much fun. That's a great hook. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pass the baton to my brother, Matthew, because he has a different starter. So this one, I, it kind of revolves on the theme of subverting expectations. Mm -hmm. We want it to be very stereotypical at first. And just when they think they know how this is going to go, things get turned upside down. <laughs> so this is uh, a three act adventure. Uh, in the first act, the characters are approached um, by somebody in need of help. It could be a, a young woman who is searching for her lost uncle, uh, or it could be a um, somebody that's respectable, a noble, or an officer of the law that says that this other person has been uh, jailed on uh what's what i'm looking for unjustly falsely, or falsely. unjustly yeah unjustly arrested and is being held by corrupt guards uh from a corrupt house noble house and we need to break into the jail and and free this innocent person whatever so either one of those work depending on what direction you want to take this but the idea is they're looking for you to do something heroic and our heroes want to be heroic. They love helping the poor downtrodden. They love freeing the innocent, fighting, you know, fighting for the underdogs. Um, and so then once you get there, you find this person. It turns out the person that was so-called jailed unjustly uh, was actually a criminal. And you've been hired by one of their assistants uh, of their criminal organization to break them out. Uh, or uh, this woman who wants you to find her uncle uh, turns out to be an assassin. And that was her mark that she, and she couldn't get to him. So she enlisted your help to flush him out. And then she just suddenly kills him. Turns out that she's actually a highly skilled assassin, high level, and she's been just concealing her skills this whole time. Uh, and you can pepper in some foreshadowing if you want. There's a lot of fun things you can do with that. But the first act is you go in thinking you're the hero and you find out that you've actually been working for the wrong side. Especially if you've got paladin-like characters, this could be a wonderful opportunity <laughs> for role-playing because they have now unwittingly worked for the bad side and it kind of, you know, it, it, it hurts their alignment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I've done this before too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I had a group, um, that I had a paladin, you know, I, I hate, uh, I'm going to say this. I hate paladins. And the reason I hate paladins is people rarely play them correctly. Because, you know, a paladin is, especially if they're lawful good, they are so on the, you know, they should be played very strict in their belief system and how they are. And I had a player that was doing a fantastic lawful good paladin. And I really wanted to knock him off his horse because I've never really had a paladin that played a true lawful good paladin. And so as we're starting the adventure out, you know, we played a couple of weeks, and, you know, and I've really like, wow, this guy, this really, this guy has it. 
And we find, so I, they're, they're going through a field and they find this old man on a crucifix and he's chained there and he's just crying and weeping and they, they approach him and ask him what's going on. And this, this old man tells the story of how he's been unjustly uh, imprisoned here and how the city lords, uh, I, I can't remember the exact details at the moment, but basically he, he goes on telling how he was unjustly uh, went he's through been the persecuted. Court. He's persecuted. been framed and yeah, and framed and <laughs> framed. He's on a cross. He's yeah. been framed. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and the paladin, like everyone's like, no, we gotta leave. You know, he, he's had to have done something wrong. Let's just go. And the paladin just stops. He goes, no, I cannot leave him upon that cross. I must. To, you know, help him. It is against my moral code to walk away. And so he draws forth his magic sword and chops away the chains. The old man drops to the ground and he's laughing giddily. And everyone's like, what the crap's going on? And, you know, the paladin's like, he's just laughing for joy you know, that he's been freed. And this smoke swirls up around him and a lich appears. He's like, finally, I can destroy those who imprison me and vanishes. <laughs> <laughs> and like Joe, the guy that was playing this paladin just goes, just tosses his hands in the air. He's like, I'm done. I'm like, what? Wait, he's like, was, was this previous host of the show, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I have to go home. Like I have to go home. I'm in such a moral dilemma. I, I'm done. I can't. <laughs> it, it wrecked him as that's, a player. That that and that's what I'm getting at here is that this is where you really have to role play. You know, um, so so the first act is you get duped into working for the wrong side. The second act is where now the party has to face the consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. So people they would normally not consider enemies are chasing them down. They're wanting to punish them. There are, there's all kinds of fallout from what they have done. They even get perhaps get wrongly associated with the criminal enterprise. Uh, so they have to try and clear their names as they go through this. And they may or may, they may not be completely successful in the second act, but it's important that by the end of this, they get enough breathing room that they can then get to the resolution in the third act. Yeah. And the third act is after spending the second act fighting off mainly good guys, city guards, uh, <laughs> law enforcement, things like that. The third act is where they're actually taking on frontal assault not maybe not necessarily that but i mean taking on directly the bad guys who put them in the position to begin yeah. with yeah. excellent opportunity for a boss fight with the person who originally hired them for example well and not only that it makes the campaign more challenging because you know like in this example that i had you know everyone knew you know they, they found out once they found out that they were the ones that released the lich it became hard to buy equipment. It became challenging to get people to side with them. They would walk into town and they, you know, people would be whispering and pointing at them and they couldn't find places to sleep. It became a challenge, you know, where in, in past games, it was probably, yeah, you know, every, everyone's rooting for them. They walk in. Oh yeah, this is, you know, on the house or yeah, you know, 50% off. 
this they had to fight for everything and they had to earn back that trust and that respect of the land then it's like all right now that we've done that and we're not having like getting attacked or beat up every time we enter a city we can actually focus on the real true threat here which is the you know the bad guy which is a perfect setup for the bad guy to really flourish and grow because everyone's focused on them and not them um so it's a great way to run a game yeah, I like this one a lot. There was there was one time Matt was GMing a D20 Wheel of Time game, and my signature move in any medieval-like setting is to throw my sword. And, and, and it started off as a joke. It really did start off as a joke, and then it became – I actually did it in moments of urgency, and it worked multiple times. Um, the dice were ki- were kind, or it, and in, in at least one case, the GM was kind because he wanted the story to move a certain direction. So he allowed the throne sword to do just enough good. Mm-hmm. And then there was one scene where he he absolutely set me up for this moment for throwing my sword made the most. <laughs> well, sense. I was getting so used to it, I I started expecting it. Come yeah, it, it it started off as a joke. Then it became uh then it became like uh sort of like a miraculous move. Then it became a signature move, and then he put us in a situation and it made total sense to throw my sword. It made absolute sense. And I did, and it tinked against the invisible force field of the one power wielding <laughs> enemy that we were and I just and now my sword is gone. And now I don't have a sword, right? Like it just it's it's too far away. And I was like and I remember being at the table and like the proverbial wind in my sails, as well as the literal wind in my lungs, just left. I was just like, oh. like it just sucked the wind out of me, and I was like, I don't know what to do. We're boned, guys. This is it. This is the end. Because um, we were in a really bad situation, but that I, was I a have, great subverted expectation. I, I was I really proud wonder, of that move. Yeah, I have to wonder if your face was the same as Sokka's when he throws the boomerang and it doesn't come back. It, it, <laughs> It was kind of like that. It really was. It was, and it was fabulous because the story was still able to move forward. But yeah. he, we, I was playing in character, and he was playing as the GM, if you will, in character in terms of like fate and and sculpting yeah. the story and giving us a new challenge. Um, it was a great way to set me up for epic failure in a way that made the story compelling. Nice. Now, I, I do want to mention on the throwing the sword topic, the first time it happened, I think it was just out of desperation. He's like, it really I was. don't know what to uh, I throw my sword. And so I oh had to sword. roll and you rolled a 20. I did. And, and it was just I like, remember that. well, hey, I've got to reward that. Right. So it worked out perfectly. So after that, it kind of became I think it was because it was so dramatic and you got that critical role. Um, it, it had to become a thing. At that well, point. and then I even I took abilities that gave me better thrown object capability <laughs> after that. And and there was there was like the first time we did it, it was miraculous and it saved the, the day. It really did. And then like. Later on down the road, I did it again, but it was with like that bravado of this is going to work. And and it did. And it was awesome, but it, it wasn't miraculous, but it was kind of like, oh, I flex my pecs and, and you know, I stand there like a pirate, you know. Um, and then we get to the point where and what, what happened was naturally and organically the expectation and the pattern was established and it fit my character and it fit the opportunity so that you could subvert the expectation. And the best part was the expectation was crafted at the table by the player, not by the system, not by the story 
that the players find themselves in, uh, the expectation was crafted by the character and the player. And I think that that was brilliant the way that you subverted that expectation. <laughs> nice. So what's next? Uh, I, so, I mean, one of the themes or that I like using, um, which I haven't used in a while. So back in the day, there used to be a setting for D&D called Dark's Sun. Um, it is basically the world is a desert world. It mm. is harsh. It is brutal. It is hot sun. It is Arrakis. <laughs> it pretty much is. Yeah, there's cities just built around small oases. But it's so hot that most people, like metal armor is super expensive. One, it's hard to find. But no one wants to wear it because it heats up. So a lot of people are wearing leather and bone armor, and a lot of the weapons are made out of wood or bone with metal edges or or teeth to them uh, to to be able to deliver devastating blows. And it's such a fun and unique way to run a game because you can't do the normal stuff. If you know you can't run out into the wilderness because you're going to die, you know because it heats up. If I remember, like 150, 160 degrees in the summer. Not only do you have humans, I mean, you don't have elves and dwarves in this world, but you have like lizard men. You have other types of races, which subverts some of the, you know, the expected things of, oh, yeah, I can talk to a dwarf and he's going to build me something or an elf. They're magical. That's all out the window. There are still dragons. They're just different. They don't fly. They burrow underground. Shai Halud. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really cool creatures that you can't see coming because they're underground. Like, you know, the the, the worms from Tremors. Uh, so the, it's really dangerous to go away from the oasis. So a lot of people just stay in town. There's a lot of thieves guilds. There are city guards that are corrupted. It's a lot of fun to play that. It's very kind of Conan the Barbarian, but at the same time, not. And so... You can get a lot of gameplay out of it. You can get some interesting uh, games coming out of it because people can't do the things they normally do. To travel to another city is extremely dangerous. Most often it's done at night, and then they have to hope they can find a cave to to bunker down in for the day, and that there's nothing living in there. You're not going to run into a bear or anything like that, but there's some nasty creatures there. And so it makes it very challenging. You have to be able to carry water. Water is very a very precious commodity. It's very expensive. It's probably more than if you were to buy some magical item, to be honest. Uh, so it definitely changes how people view things. Because, you know, it, like me and many other games I've been in, everyone wants the greatest and latest magical items. Well, mm -hmm. magic is very rare here. Most people are not wizards. Um, I think it's maybe 1%. And they are of the upper echelon because they have their, that power. Um, so if you are a magic user, generally you've been swept away and you're you're either murdered or uh, you're, you're part of the cabal. So <laughs> it, it's interesting. It is interesting. Now it's time to chat about our sponsor, World Anvil. World Anvil is an award-winning world-building and writing software for people who love to create rich and exciting worlds. With their software, you can create your world, manage your campaign, plan your novel, create a world wiki, wow your players, make novels more interactive, and make your worlds come to life. You can find them at worldanvil.com, and if you put in the discount code 
DCR40, you will receive a 40% discount today. So, so then, I mean, you described how like the setting is what makes it interesting. And then it sounds like, it sounds like the focus on survival and the scarcity of what is typically expected. How, how do you kind of like frame that into a single hook that makes compelling gameplay? What's the hook in all that? Well, it it depends. I mean, sometimes it could be that you are part of a caravan and, uh, you wake up. The caravan's been destroyed. You don't know why. Is it a caravan of courage? No, no. Thankfully not. Just um, But, you know, that would be really interesting if there were a bunch of scavenger desert Ewoks. <laughs> They'd probably be like the skinless cats or the hairless cats. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of hairless Ewoks, just, just fleshy nude teddy bears yep. out of the desert. This, this is kind of reminding me of the uh, Nine Tenths Memoir. Yeah, uh, the nine tenths from uh, M. Todd Gallaglass. Yeah, heck yes, great. But uh, you know, th- there was one time. Yeah, the caravan was destroyed. They woke up. They there's no city in sight. They have to figure out how to survive. They've got bare, bare basic um, equipment. Like I think one had a sword. The one another had a sling, and another one had a you know a, a quarter staff. Nothing that could really do a lot of damage, but most creatures out there would eat you whole. Yeah. Um, there's another time where uh, they were imprisoned. I had them all imprisoned. They they started out at a higher level, but they were all imprisoned for different crimes, and they were to be executed the next morning. And they had to figure out how to escape. Yeah, there, there's a hook in there that I like to use um, in a lot of my games, too, I, especially if I'm doing like a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, like some sort of like, you know, event where I'm, I'm doing a game there. I like starting characters and this is actually kind of, um, related to the amnesiac. Uh, I like characters who, um, I, I know we use this mechanic a lot, but they suddenly wake up or they suddenly find themselves, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't yeah. just wake up, but they suddenly find themselves in a situation where they have literally nothing uh, yeah. except the clothes on their back. Maybe they don't even have shoes. Um, one of my favorite setting, one of my favorite um, one-offs is in a zombie apocalypse setting. They're inside of a hospital. I'll let you decide which kind of hospital it is for yourself. Um, but they're inside of a hospital as prisoners. They must break out with nothing but the, you know, they start off with the furniture in their room, making improvised weapons. And then they have to take out both zombies and their captors, building up their, um, inventory with what they find. Uh, and so I love the idea of starting off with nothing and salvaging every and scavenging everything that you can to give your character more. What, what that means is they have to start off with role-playing thinking and skill usage they have to start there and uh, i think that forces a lot of players to stop relying on the crutches of of you know ma- powerful weaponry that many characters tend to start with or or have after you know so many levels of playing because that's a that's a hook you can use with level five or level 10 yeah. characters they have all these abilities but you take away all of their gear and now they have to really think about how to utilize their facilities and that was one of the things that I really loved about season one of Walking Dead, where Rick wakes up in the very first episode. He's in he's yeah, in a hospital yeah. gown. That's a fantastic yeah. hook. I love he's that. In a hospital gown, and the world is literally crumbled around him, and he's trying to figure out what the crap. I mean, amnesiac a little bit, and he has no no yeah. gear. Like he, he has no context. Him. Yeah. Right. And it it it's it's challenging, and yes, and some people will go, "That just sucks." 
but really it makes you think it makes you look around to find things that you normally wouldn't to try to uh to move forward in the story yeah. i mean it's no different than an escape room really it's just in a role-playing format if you guys are cool with it i want to throw out my second starter go ahead uh, so my first starter was about introducing people who are new to the game, mm -hmm. and that was the Amnesiac. The second one is when you have a player or group of players who are experienced, I like to introduce uh, the hook known as the WMD, the Weapon of Mass Destruction. Now, I call I generically call it the WMD because it really depends on the system that you're in, the context, the setting, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the idea is you need to pit the team up against uh, an obstacle, an enemy, and an, an antagonist, a monster that is seemingly impossible to beat. Now, I want to stress some important key points here. One, your group is not a group of newbies. Maybe there's a newbie in the group, but the group itself is an experienced group of players. That, that's important because you're challenging people who have who have been challenged in the normal ways before. And now you're gonna give them something that's that they've never had to face ever. And it has to push them to their player limits. Rule number two, or thing number two to keep in mind here is, I do not want you to violate the alloy laws of GMing, which if you're not sure what we're talking about, go back into our episode catalog and find the uh, G the laws of GMs, you know, the GM laws, because uh, Alton, uh, we miss you, buddy. Alton gave a phenomenal uh, sort of like seminar of sorts. All three of us worked together, but he was the key voice that laid out the alloy laws of being a GM. And we talked about the concept of there must always be jeopardy. There must always be risk, but there must also always be a way for the players to win or to get out of danger. Mm -hmm. And the goal of the WMD is to present the players with an obstacle, a danger, a threat that is seeming, seemingly impossible to beat, especially at their current level. And the idea is that over time, they'll, they'll escape, event, you know, they'll get out of harm's way if they play well, give them a chance to escape. But the idea here is that as a GM, you've already plotted that when they hit a certain level or when they acquire a certain relic or when they, when they do certain things, they will be in a position to finally stop the threat, whether that's to kill it or to imprison it or to banish it or whatever the case may be. But they have to build up to it. And while they're building up to that moment, this threat is ever imminent. It's chasing them. It appears more than once. It causes uh, bad things to happen. Again, don't violate the laws of being a good GM, but make this a real challenge for your players. The example that I will use is in my Dead Rain game, which was a zombie apocalypse game. This particular setting incorporated not just the undead, but it also had a certain level of like rediscovered psionics and magic. There was a certain level of magic that was introduced into the modern world in this version of the game. And uh, they had an I, I loved my magic user in that game. Your magic user was tons of fun, by the way. Um, we've actually talked about the main antagonist from this game, the man in white, before. Uh, mm -hmm. And and he posed a threat in one way, but he was m 
almost like a supernatural intellectual threat, right? He didn't do a lot of physical threatening until later. Um, but they had an NPC character named Atlas who was a strongman for the circus. And he was just an NPC, but he was part of the story and he was part of a character's backstory. Uh, and he was very helpful to the group. I had the man in white kill Atlas in front of the group quite suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere. It was an ambush. And then using his abilities, he took the body of Atlas away where the players could not get to him. Uh, and he killed him in such a fashion that he could be brought back as an undead. And what I did was I made him, I made this character that used to be a friend of the players, the WMD. He became what's known as a Draugr in Norse mythology. In Norse mythology, a Draugr, you can think of it kind of like a juggernaut, where um, it is an undead Viking warrior who has come back. But the way that Norse mythology zombies work is way worse than American <laughs> zombies. The Draugr is an unkillable, seemingly unstoppable force. You can't kill a Draugr. It will just keep coming. However, the way you defeat a Draugr is that you have to stop it physically, meaning that you have to bury it or imprison it, or you have to wrap it in chains forged by the gods, or you have to do something that physically halts the Draugr. Otherwise, it is the unstoppable force. And so in my campaign, I had already planned out how they would eventually get to a point where they could physically bury this weapon of mass destruction, this this Draugr, if you will, um, under several many tons of construction and stuff. We never got to that point in the campaign, but the point is they would try to fight this thing the way they normally fight zombies, and everything they would do would fail, and the possibilities of them getting hurt or killed would be very real. And this would happen multiple times. It would be the ever impending doom. So that weapon of mass destruction approach keeps the jeopardy high. And when it's least convenient for the players to encounter that problem, that's when the problem appears. This is a great hook for challenging players who have seen you, seen you and your challenges as a GM before, and they need something fresh and something difficult. It is not for noobs. But it can it can breathe new life into an experienced group uh, game or campaign. I don't know that that's a great one. Um, one that I've used, um, I, I call it the labyrinth. Uh, you know, most labyrinths from you know mythology and everything, you kind of get the idea. It, it's 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 diff it's difficult. The twist that I always put on mine is there: the players have found themselves in the center of the labyrinth. And they have to escape. The The trick to it is they can't ever go backwards. If they go backwards, the rooms forward change. Oh. The path, the path you know, to get out completely changes. So, you know, if they need, and the only place they can rest is back in the center. Oh, that's interesting. Unless, unless the get, ways, Robert yeah, Jordan. unless they can get to a point where they can find another safe place to stop and to rest, but they never know when that's going to happen. Yeah, and if they, you know, if they go, even if they go to the room just prior, everything resets before them, and so it really pushes the need to move forward, but at the same time, it really pulls on that. Well, what if it's not safe? What if the next room is even worse than the room we just went into? Um, when you're doing the labyrinth like that, do you have like a predetermined map that you're working off of, or is it more like a, like an RNG generated type stuff? 
um, where it's like, you know, they're going to take so many turns. You roll dice to see if it's if there's a door in the hallway, you roll dice to see what kind of room it is. Do you do like an RNG generation or do you have like a predetermined map that you use? No, I do have a predetermined map if they were to go straight through with no problem. But I do have a chart that changes up that, you know, th that path uh, and what happens. Because if anyone steps backwards, I have to roll and I have to see what how the next room change or, you know, or is they can go straight, they can for, go left or right or whatever. And then I have those charts to see what determines are in there. But I do have my basic plan of what is in there if in case they never may change or deviate from that. Never happens. It's never happened the entire time I've ever ran it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is interesting how crazy that can get you know uh the last time i ran it uh one person ended up walking through a portal that landed them in the abyss because they wandered off by themselves and everyone else stayed put and so it didn't change for them but it changed for that other person because they went backwards and then and this is how they had to learn the hard way. They went back into the room. Everyone was gone. And, you know, the person's like, what just happened? <laughs> well, you violated the rule of the labyrinth. You went backwards. So you have to progress forward. And unfortunately, you're no longer on the same path as everyone else. And that person panicked. He's like, um, I'm by myself. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did did they ever reunite with the party? I just got to know. Uh no, they ended up dying. Oh. They stared no. into the abyss long enough. <laughs> no, I mean, well, they ended up in an abyss and uh due to my rolls, they they wandered into a cavern of succubuses and well, you know, or that one. Well, it certainly does suck. De yeah, death yeah. by snoo snoo? <laughs> yep, yep. Death by snoo snoo. Uh, um, now um in the interest of time, I know Matthew has one more yes. starter that I, I want I want to hear from him. Yes. So another thing that I like to do is uh, puzzles, uh, puzzle challenges. It's it's really easy as GMs to kind of revert to combat because there's so much emphasis in that in uh, many many RPG systems. Uh, and so a lot of times I'll design uh, an adventure where there's challenges. And the thing is, you can take real world puzzles and just reskin them change mm -hmm. the theme to fit what you need to do there for example i had my um characters uh in a wheel of time game uh get stuck in some ruins from the age of legends thousands of years ago and there's all kinds of odd technology that is just le literally legendary because it's so far back in myth that they have no idea what they're looking at but i had these um this crystal panel that had pieces lying on the floor and they had to reassemble it and each of these crystal pegs had symbols on them and basically what i did is i'd given them a sudoku i'd taken a sudoku <laughs> and i had changed the numbers for symbols and they had to put them back in in an order such that the same symbol never appeared in the same row column or uh, it's not necessarily a quadrant it would be a nonant one ninth of the puzzle um 
And they didn't know this. And so they would go and if you made a mistake, you'd get this electrical type shock that would do some damage to you. Uh, and I was, what I was really trying to do is I was going to, I got some like 16 penny nails, some huge honkers, and, uh, I was going to tape or glue on these symbols on the back of the nails. And I had a board that I was going to drill holes into so that I have a little prop for them to try and figure out even, but I never quite got that, that far. Um, and then there are other things. Uh, puzzles that you can do. There was a uh, magic math box kind of a thing where, again, I just changed numbers for symbols and you had to figure out what the relative value or weights of these symbols were. And they had to add up horizontally, vertically, and diagonally uh, to the right. They had to add up to the right symbol. Mm. There was another puzzle from... Oh, I want to uh, jump in, though. I want to jump in because I remember one puzzle you gave us. And again, uh, the point that Matthew is making is that you can take real world principles, concepts and puzzles, and then you can reskin them to your context to make them uh, alien at first blush. Right. Uh, there was one time we were in, I think it was Wheel of Time, and we had a wall of like levers or torches or something. I think it was levers. And uh it ended up like we played with it. And again, electrical shock if you got the pattern wrong, but you had to figure out what the pattern was in terms of flipping the levers down and up in a certain sequence to get to an ultimate, <gasps> yeah. to an ultimate state that would I'd then open the one. door. Uh, and it ended up, it was simply binary for all of our nerds out there where up was on and down was off. And if you know how to count in binary from right to left, which is not hard to learn, to be honest, then you can, the pattern of the switches began to make sense and you would count up from zero. I think you had, it was, it was either four or five of these switches. So you'd have to count up to 15 from zero to 15 uh, using these switches. And, um, I remember I figured it out. I started doing it right. I got ahead of myself, took one wrong step and I was almost dead because like I had failed, uh, earlier I'd been hurt in battle and stuff like that. Um, but I, I had gotten so sure that I knew how to do this and I did, but then I made a simple mistake. I, I wasn't consistent in what I was doing. I knew what I was trying to do and I wasn't consistent and I got zapped. And now my player, who's the only one who figured it out is on my characters on the ground and uh, I cannot talk to the players anymore. So <laughs> that became, that became kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the four switches on the wall as a binary counting puzzle, it's such a simple concept uh, that I thought that was brilliant that you put that in there. And I felt really smart for figuring it out and really stupid for <laughs> screwing it up. I was really proud of you for figuring it out. And then I was overjoyed when, when, you, I screwed when it you passed up. out and I got to have more fun with the party. Um, the and it's interesting is that that was based on a physical puzzle that I had. Uh, it was it was round shaped and it had eight uh, pay, levers on top that you would slide in and out. And uh, when you when it was out, there was a a tab that protruded from the uh, from the cylinder. And the idea was to get all the tabs out or all the tabs in. And it was it was simple binary counting. Oh, I didn't was, know that. That was all it was. So it was that was the inspiration for that. Nice. Uh, so yeah. So it, you can take real world objects, real world puzzles, and then just change them to um, 
to fit your adventure. And so this would fit with the labyrinth, like Daniel was talking about, fighting your way through ruins, trying to unlock uh, a door. It, it very much is escape room-esque. I love it. Um, you know, the last thing I'll throw out there, because I know we're running short on time, but the last thing I'll throw out there is, um, you know, there have been many times, this is more like, as opposed to, uh, this can be a starter, or it can just be kindling for a good, for a good idea mid-adventure. You can use this to give like a sub, a side quest, a sub-adventure, or to just get to the next step in your big story when you're having GM's block. Anytime you're having GM's block, try this out. Uh, one thing that I love to do is... Uh, if I'm ever having GM's block, I will talk to my players and I, and I won't tell them I'm having GM's block. Not every time. Sometimes I do, but I'll say, so tell me about your characters. Tell me about your character. Tell me about the backstory. Tell me about like the history. Where do they come from? And then what's funny is if you'll just let players talk about their characters, most players, they have lovingly crafted these things. And so they start telling you stuff, and then they start telling you tons of detail that you could not possibly know that only they know because it's their character, it's their story. And what happens is if I start asking all of my players that question, if I, tell me about your character, what's their back, where do they come from? If I just start asking them questions and I show interest in their characters, they start giving me details. And before long, one, two, three, ten seeds are dropped into my brain and I can leverage their backstory to create what is, you know, sort of generically coined the backstory MacGuffin. I can take someone's backstory and I can use it against them. No, I can use it. <laughs> I can use it to make a story hook. And now that now that I've tied the story directly into at least one character's backstory, now there's motivation. In all of these starters, I don't I don't know if you've caught this, but in all of these starters, the goal here is to have a hook. You want a hook that the players just can't deny, right? That has to be – and here's the thing. A lot of GMs put a lot of pressure on themselves to come up with these great, big, epic stories. And the truth is a good hook just has to be interesting enough to get your players to the next step. That's all it has to be. Even if you, the GM, don't know exactly where that's going, as long as you know what the next step is or should be, just make the hook that interesting and your players will do the rest of the work for you. You know, building on that, one of the things that I remember doing in a campaign with with you uh, was I think I kind of offered, hey, you know that cloak you have? Um, I, how about if I made it a, a, a magic cloak? Or what if – and I didn't, I didn't say it was a magic cloak, but I, I – and I don't remember if you actually already had it or if I said, would you like to have a fancy cloak uh, to go with your initial loadout? And it turns out that it was magical. But, you know, offering a magical item or something that's kind of really cool that makes the player think, ooh, I've got some cool advantage here, that actually turns out because it's magical to attract magical bad guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and to kind of give you an idea, the... Um, in this case, uh, Wheel of Time, if you're familiar with the Wheel of Time, uh, be because this cloak of uh, Josh's character was uh, actually a, a Terragrial uh, that had magical ability. When he slept under it, he got the best sleep of his life. It would restored a bunch of health and uh, other type of... Uh, it, it quickly restored him, uh, was what this cloak did. But because it resonated with the One Power, it attracted Padden Fane who's a combination <laughs> dark friend and corrupted Shadar Logoth uh, uh, entity. 
Uh, and so doing something like that where you give them this cool magical item, but it ends up having a downside, like it's a beacon that will draw demons to you or something like that, uh, which always adds a little extra spice to the adventure. Absolutely. I think that goes back to subverting expectations. And in that case, you like in the case where there's no compelling backstory hook that you want to bite into, Matthew created a hook of of a backstory of sorts. Here, how about that for this starting gear? Do you want this thing? I, I've got this. I, I can afford to give this to you in the game and it'll help out the team. Oh, yeah, great. And now he has implanted a hook, <laughs> um, a, a backstory MacGuffin that drives some of the conflict in the game. I think that's I think that's a brilliant use of your players. Yeah, I mean, cursed items, magic items. I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, I mean, there's an entire book series based off of a cursed item that was given to someone early on. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's definitely, there are tons of ways out there to get a game session going, to start something. It doesn't have to be in a tavern. It doesn't have to be something fancy. Uh, sometimes it can just be a single item that is cursed. It could be something that's all powerful that you have to get away from the big bad guy. And the it has to be taken to some far off land. There are some very interesting ways to do and run a game and have a great adventure. Hey, I just got a question for you guys. Have, uh, have you ever been in a campaign or an adventure with two blind Cyclops? Two oh. blind Cyclops. No, yeah. I think I have. I feel like this is going to go somewhere. Neither have I. Oh, come on. <laughs> Neither have I. You know what the really sad thing is? The sad thing is, is they probably saw their death and they knew that wasn't it. Hey, stop. <laughs> stop crawling through this one. Don't, don't, don't do that to my favorite movie. Um, Matthew, that was, um, I didn't see that one coming. I... <laughs> Yeah, the eyes, the eyes have it. Too. I was blind to it too. <laughs> well done, well done. Well, God. you know, uh, the, the last thing I want to just kind of put the cherry on top here. Um, you know, the, the goal in all of this, the reason why we wanted to have this conversation with you, our crawlers, is because being a GM should not be an anxiety-inducing, high-stress job, right? You can. It, I realize there's a lot of pressure on a GM to make a good campaign. But if you go back through and you listen to the uh, alloy laws of being a GM, and if you listen to what we've said to you tonight, what we're really trying to do here is we're trying to give you some tools to just get the story started. Because really, the story is always the players, and you're just facilitating that experience. And in some of these hooks, <clears throat> some of these starters that we've given you, there is a lot of sort of like front-loading or interesting work that the GM has to do. Uh, and there are GMs who are who are ready to do that kind of stuff. But really the goal here is be as extravagant or as simple as you want. Just get them hooked. And it's a lot easier than you might think it is. And if you're having trouble coming up with a hook, you've had somewhere between four and six suggestions tonight that you could modify to your context, your game system, and you could make it work for your players. But in the end... Make sure that it's a great story for the players. And yes. that is the number one goal. And if you do that, you will have an amazing campaign. An amazing campaign. And I mean, I mean, you're right. As long as you can make it fun for the players and you can get them to buy in, that's all that matters. Um, 
but you can still do it in fun ways. It doesn't have to be amazing and over the top. You know, the reason that we've been able to do this is we've been playing for years and maybe you have too. Maybe you're a newbie and you're just starting out and that's okay. You don't have to have a John Carter of Mars production here (laughs) where it's everything and everything. Keep it simple. And then as you get confident, build upon that, do something else. Uh, It can be fun. The labyrinth thing is very simple. It's not overly difficult, but it is fun where you can get to, uh, you know, the amnesiac that is more complicated, but it can be fun. And sometimes it can't be. I mean, if you get some players that just aren't buying in and they're just not doing it, it can become very tedious. That is the kind of the problem when you're a DM, you're running that, that risk of trying to do the story you want, the game you want, but ultimately it's up to the players at the table. They get to pick the story and the direction. You're just there to narrate and give some direction and guidance. And ultimately, hopefully those two com- combine, you know, like Captain Planet. And then it's going to be amazing. <laughs> But, but with that said, you know, enjoy playing, you know, it doesn't matter what game system you're out, you're playing, you know, I know right now, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is in a lot of hot water because of, uh, Wizards of the Coast and, and Hasbro. Uh, a lot of people are, are, are diverting from that. You can do this with, uh, with Pathfinder. You could do this with Starfinder. You could do this with pretty much any game system that's connected to savage worlds you can do it with iron kingdoms you can do it with palladium gurps i mean there's so many game systems that i haven't even uh mentioned that you can do these things you don't have to have dungeons and dragons um so find whatever you want to do what game system that is your favorite and play it i mean you could even in some ways play you know these starters we've suggested even with star wars a star wars game system uh it's not impossible to do these things so just find what you enjoy what your players are going to enjoy and have fun i mean because that's ultimately what tabletop gaming is about it's not about ogls it's not about <laughs> r- rule lo- ro- rule lawyering well it's, it's not about, about real world law- lawyering yeah. <laughs> it's about being at the table with a group of people that you want to spend time with and have fun and kind of just check out from the world for a little while and create a story of your own. Because, you know, in that moment when you're at the table, you are the hero of that story and everyone else is playing along with you and vice versa. Each of those people are the hero of their, of that story. So with that said, you know, we're out of here. We'll catch you next time. And my little nerdlings, remember to always let your geek flag fly. So say we all. And whether or not you're trying to avoid having your level one characters fight a giant rat in the basement of a tavern, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. 